Hello and welcome to this latest episode of Talking Research. I'm Mark Harris, Chief Investment Officer at Square Mile. And today I'm talking about inflation and whether we're entering a year of recession and what this may mean for investors and more with Hugh Gimber, Global Market Strategist at JP Morgan Asset Management, and James Ashley, Head of Market Strategy at Goldman Sachs Asset Management. Thank you both for joining me. James, let's start by discussing inflation and your expectations in 2023 and beyond. With great pleasure. Firstly, thanks for inviting us both back. It's, it's a great joy to be part of these um, podcasts and there's a whole st- bunch of stuff to talk about for this year. Uh, So for inflation, we expect a very significant moderation in inflation for this year. Um, I think you would struggle to find anybody on the street who's saying anything different to that. The question is, how far does it come down? How quickly does it come down? How how do central banks respond to that? And what does the medium term look like? So very briefly, uh, for this year, you're going to get two things that we expect to force inflation down substantially. Number one is that I'm sure we'll get into the recession outlook, yes or no for this year, but demand is going to be weak. So weak demand relative to supply, that creates a bit of slack and inflationary pressures diminish on the back of that. The other more powerful element is just the base effects. Uh, Energy prices in particular, but prices generally last year went up by so much that those inflation rates are likely to come hurtling back down. Not saying the price level comes back down. So if you think about this in terms of utility bills, your average price might have jumped from 1200 to somewhere closer to 3000. We're not saying you go back to 1200, you might stay at 3,000, but the inflation rate goes back towards zero as the price level just stays where it is. So levels might be unchanged. The inflation rate comes down. From a policy perspective, it's the inflation rate that matters. And as we get towards year end, we'd be expecting inflation in the UK, the euro area, the US, all still to be above 2%, but much closer to 2%. Indicative, let's say somewhere in the region of 3 to 4%, so still uncomfortably high. But on a forward-looking basis, if central banks expect that moderation to continue, then that gives them the ability to start behaving in a different manner. So the inflationary outlook is going to be evolving quite dramatically over the course of this year in a way we think is going to be much more favourable for risk appetite, partly because of the direct impact from inflation, partly because of what it means for policy. Very briefly, because I know Hugh will want to weigh in on this, your second part of your question, Mark, was about the medium-term outlook for inflation. We wrote a paper on this several months ago saying that whatever you think about the cyclical outlook for inflation, what we've just talked about, the medium term, we think inflationary pressures are going to be more persistent. We're coming towards the end of an era where we've had cheap energy because we're moving towards decarbonisation. Cheap labour is less abundant as the likes of China move up to middle income status. And deglobalization, where you're introducing frictions into the movement of goods and services around the world, is introducing extra costs. So we think there's going to be case where central banks start to mull over whether the 2% inflation mandates that they've been trying to hit for the past 20-25 years need to be rethought and perhaps we're going to deal with an environment where in the medium term inflation stickier at higher levels. So short term inflation comes down, medium term we might see somewhat higher inflation than what we've been used to over the past couple of decades. And Hugh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, thanks, Mark. So I certainly agree with the direction that James has painted. I guess to add a couple of extra angles to this, one, I think the labour market is going to be a really important determinant of how closely we get back to target by the end of this year. Because when you look across the economy, completely agree with James that there are lots of signs now that economic activity is weakening. 
But the labor market is really the one lasting pillar of strength. Whether it's in the US or in the UK, you're still seeing really low unemployment rates, and that's leading to very high levels of wage growth. So just um, over the past few days, we've had UK labor market data pointing to wages rising at something in the region of 7% year over year. That is not consistent with a central bank target of 2% inflation. And so I think one of the key things to watch over the next few months is not only going to be those headline rates of inflation, which we agree will be coming down quite sharply, primarily driven by the energy story, but also what's happening to wage growth. Because wages need to moderate, the labor markets need to cool if we are going to get back much closer to target by year end. And with that in mind, the second point I'd say is that I actually think the UK is likely to see slightly more sticky inflation over the course of this year than the US or the Eurozone. Because really, we're dealing with everyone's problems at the same time. The US inflation problem is labor market shortages and too strong wage growth. Europe's been much more of an energy shock. And the UK has Europe's energy shock and it has the US labor market tightness combined into one. So I agree the direction of travel is likely lower, but I think the Bank of England might be grappling with higher inflation for some time to come and is perhaps a bit envious at this point of seeing inflation rates coming back down much more quickly across the Atlantic. Thanks, Hugh. And there's also much uh, talk of late that this year will be one of recession. So um, uh, your thoughts on that, please. Yeah, so we, like many others, think that developed market economies are likely to slide into a mild recession in 2023. I think there are a couple of points to make here. One is that this recession is very widely forecast. And I'm embarrassed to say economists generally are terrible at forecasting recessions in advance. Now, if you want some stats to back that up, we went back and looked at this. And prior to the pandemic, we looked at over 150 recessions across over 60 countries between the 1990s and, um, yeah, as I say, prior to 2019. And only five of those 150-odd recessions were predicted a year in advance by a, a broad group of economists. So this is extremely unusual in that it looks for once like economists might have got ahead of the game. And that's important because it changes behavior well in advance. Generally, the deeper recessions that we see are following a period of over excess and booming economies, too much optimism, people extending out their credit, taking on too much leverage, stretching balance sheets, and then bang, you get a big shock, economy weakens, and then you end up with a much deeper correction. This time round, we think you're really lacking the big boom that would justify seeing a big bust in the economy to bring it back into balance. And therefore, yes, we think developed market economies are quite likely to go into recession, but importantly, they're likely to only be mild. And James, is this shared by you and your colleagues at uh, Goldman's? Broadly, but it would be ironic, wouldn't it, if this recession that's being forecast by The Economist is the one that didn't actually materialise. Uh, and the reason I say that is because if some, some of the people listening to this might have seen the headlines over the past couple of weeks that Goldman Sachs no longer expects uh, a European recession. I just want to be clear on that. That's the broker-dealer side of Goldman Sachs within GSAM. Um, who I represent, who I'm speaking for, we do still expect a relatively short, mild recession of the kind that Hugh was just outlining. What is interesting is that the ECB is now coming out for the first time and also saying they expect a short, mild recession, uh, which when we last spoke a few months ago was not the case. They were still expecting the euro area to navigate with weak but positive growth. The only element I'll add to what Hugh said is 
the definition of recession matters to some extent that in Europe and the UK we talk about recession being two consecutive quarters of negative GDP um, rightly or wrongly that's a definition that is clean you know you can objectively say there was negative growth or there was not negative growth in the US it's a much broader more holistic definition which takes into account things like the labor market so actually in the first two quarters of last year the US economy contracted but they don't consider that to be a recession so it's possible that in the US we avoid going into a recession but that's partly going to be about semantics and definitions the other bit i would just emphasize is that recession is just a word you know it's possible that in the for example the uk or parts of the euro area we have negative growth of minus 0.1 for a couple of quarters that's a recession or instead we might have positive growth of 0.1 for a couple of quarters and we avoid a recession frankly in terms of the implications for employment the implications for investors and asset prices that really doesn't make much difference. There's a bit of a path dependency there, but it's really micro and minor. So what really matters is the depth and the length of the recession rather than do we happen to be just above or just below zero. But broadly speaking, I'd endorse what Hugh said. We're looking at probably relatively short, mild recessions for most developed markets. And harking back to the previous question that we asked where Hugh said actually the UK is in the toughest spot from an inflationary perspective, I think the recession in the UK might also be a bit longer and more painful for most markets. So the UK might be suffering from uh, weaker growth and higher inflation than many of the developed market peers. And James, what are the prospects for company earnings and, and are markets being too complacent about what can be achieved in this environment? Um, broadly, yes, I think. So our, our view would be that equity markets are a little bit over their ski tips. Um, if you start with the US, the, the S&P, as we record this, is trading, let's call it 4,000. For us, the focus from the equity market perspective has been very much on what are central banks doing? When are they going to drop down the pace of normalization? How close are we to the peak? And I'm not at all belittling the importance of those questions. They are absolutely fundamental to thinking about what is fair value in the market. But what has perhaps been neglected is what is going to be the damage to earnings that comes either from a recession or from the lagged impact of monetary tightening that's already been introduced. Remember, monetary policy feeds through with a lag of somewhere around 18 months to have its maximum impact. Well, the Fed's not even been tightening for 12 months. The first hike was in March of last year. So the accumulation of aggressive tightening within a short space of time, plus the likely weak growth that we're anticipating for this year, are both going to be headwinds from an earnings perspective. So when we look at earnings growth that's penciled in by the consensus for many markets for this this year, it looks a little bit ahead of what we would be anticipating. Obviously, there are the differences across markets, uh, but in terms of big picture, we would say that from an equity market perspective, it still pays to be a little bit cautious right now. And uh, Hugh, how does the outlook look to you? Yeah, I, I think I'd say broadly similarly to, to what James has described. I mean, when you think about the comments that we've just discussed around the mild nature of the economic recession, I think that does also translate into us expecting a relatively mild contraction in earnings as well for this year. So I don't think we're looking at a sort of financial crisis type decline uh, of 30 to 40 percent off um, earnings from peak to trough. I think it will be much more modest than that. And when I look at consensus, I agree with James that, frankly, some of these numbers are probably still a little bit too optimistic. But this is the normal pattern, right? Without wanting to be too rude to our colleagues on the sell side, generally at this time of year, you look at consensus estimates and everyone's saying, well, 
because earnings are normally 10% a year. And so people pencil in 10% a few months in advance, and then they adjust that number as we learn more about how the year's progressing. The better news here is that when I look at consensus now, it's sort of 2% or so, 3% maybe in the US, maybe zero in the UK. So maybe even off those numbers, there's still a little bit room uh, for disappointment, but at least we're not at those kind of 10% levels and therefore looking at significant downside surprises relative to consensus. Yes, obviously things have run pretty hot over the last couple of months. We were a lot more comfortable with a relatively positive outlook for this year when we published back in November when markets were significantly lower versus where they are today. But broadly, yeah, a little bit of room for disappointment, but we don't think you're looking at a major correction akin to the financial crisis, given what is happening in the economy. Now, I want to discuss valuations. Are these looking attractive for equities and bonds? And, and what is the outlook for these markets from here? So, Hugh, can you give us your thoughts? Sure. I mean, first of all, I'll start with bonds because I think that is the easiest one. A major, major correction in bond valuations. We had the worst year on record for global bond markets last year. Um, you just look at what's happened to the government bond universe, right? Go back three years. We had about 30 to 40% of that universe yielding negative yields. And you had close to 90% of that universe yielding less than 1%. So when you were trying to build fixed income portfolios, you really had very little to work with. Thankfully, today, we can say that negatively yielding debt is gone and good riddance to it. It was a real hindrance for all fixed income investors and multi-asset investors thinking about pairing equities and bonds together. So on the fixed income side, we agree that government bonds, investment grade credit look much more attractively valued. Still a little bit more wary of some of the lower quality credit where I don't think spreads are quite wide enough yet. On the equity side, broadly across DM, we think that valuations look a lot more reasonable at these kind of levels. The one exception to that I would highlight is still the S&P 500, where even though growth stocks have come a long way off their really sort of exuberant highs that we were seeing this time last year, we still think that the gap between growth stock and value stock valuations is too wide. And therefore, one of our key equity views for this year is that we'd still be favoring value over growth, just given that we think the, the kind of multiples that you're seeing in sectors such as energy and financials are, are much more realistic today. Thanks. And James? Let me pick up on the bond piece uh, and something that Hugh said, you know, kind of good riddance to negative yields. And yeah, sure, you know, the fact that we've got rid of those suggests that we're returning to a somewhat more normal macro environment relative to where we have been for the past 10 years. Obviously, we're not in that normal environment right now, but the idea is that we'll settle in some equilibrium that has nominal rates closer to what's kind of more accustomed over recent cycles. The only counter to that is to say that you've got to reflect on one of the reasons why we've moved to that higher, more normal rate environment is that central banks are stepping back from QE and moving towards QT, which again is a sign to some extent of the economy rebalancing. But from a fixed income investor perspective, the strong bid that you've had suppressing yields and elevating valuations, that's gone. So in terms of the valuations that you can now find, they're much more attractive than where they were 12 months ago, but you're standing on your own two feet now. You're not just joining the same team as the Fed or the ECB or the Bank of England. In some ways, you're actually taking the opposing position to them because they're selling the securities that they've been adding to their balance sheets for the past 10, 15 years. So 
that doesn't mean there aren't opportunities. We like opportunities in fixed income right now. You know, corporate credit IG is, is kind of quite a common theme that many asset managers are talking about. High quality sovereign paper, you know, we're kind of moving back to a more neutral position on that. But just reflect that you're no longer riding on the coattails of the central banks. You're doing this for fundamental based reasons. The other bit I'll just throw into the mix just very briefly is to say we, we still do think there's the potential for some parts of the fixed income universe to take a small leg down. Um, if I look at, for example, the market pricing in 50 basis points of rate cuts for the Fed as soon as the second half of this year, that looks premature to us. Sure, central banks are going to pivot. Our view is that's most likely to be in 2024 to think that they're going to be cutting by the time we're as soon as Q3 of this year that we have questions about. So fixed income, look, the opportunities there are much more attractive than they were 12 months ago. Generally, you know, quite an exciting place to be, but there's still one or two areas where you need to tread cautiously and recognize you're no longer on the same team as the central bankers. Now, what about sustainable investing after a really shocking 2022? We'll want to explore what you both feel will ensue and, and what will rekindle investor interest in this area. So let's start with you, James. What are your thoughts on sustainable investing? Yeah, I mean, last year from a from a um, climate change perspective, from a carbon perspective, um, was pretty difficult. You know, what, the one asset class that performed last year was commodities, and a lot of that reflects just what happened to energy prices, so carbon-intense industries. Uh, our view, that if you're thinking about sustainable investing, is to look across every single sector and see which companies have credible long-term decarbonisation plans. So last year was difficult, but actually I think the reality of where we're going to is that both from a regulatory perspective and just the reality of the ground of climate change and other factors, you know, the E, the S and the G separately and collectively becoming more manifestly real and important over the next several years, that will come back to the forefront. So let's not try and dress it up. 2022 is a very difficult year from a sustainable perspective, but I tend to think that that will become increasingly back into focus for most investors around the world in the years ahead. And Hugh? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think when you're talking about 2022 being a bad year for sustainable strategies, primarily you're talking about exclusionary strategies here, right? So to the points that James has just made, if you were excluding the fossil fuel sector entirely using that kind of more blunt approach, then clearly you're going to lag in a year where energy stocks were up you know, 30, 40% versus the benchmark. So I think there's going to be much more focus from investors this year on engagement not only just trying to exclude low-ranking um, companies, but actually thinking, okay, well, if we are going to own some of these stocks, then we need to be working much more closely with management to ensure that we're being actors, owners of these securities to get it right, to make sure that they're not only setting climate transition plans, but also hitting those targets as well. So engagement will be one piece. And then for some of the renewable strategies, when I'm looking across the market, uh, last year was a year that was brutal for all growth stocks. It didn't really matter what your five, 10-year earnings prospects were. Bond yields are going up and therefore growth got sold off wherever you look. I think there are some interesting entry points opening up here, particularly if we're now looking at more stable bond yields because the policy tailwinds are huge, right? We've had the Inflation Reduction Act. We've now had the European response to that. It feels like we're almost going into a game of policy tennis now with different regions around the world saying, right, well, you've done more than we have. So we're now going to launch something else to try and ensure that companies want to be here rather than over there. So I think the policy tailwinds in this year are only going to get stronger. Well, thank you both for joining me today. It's been great to hear your thoughts. And thank you to the listeners. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Talking Research.
To keep up to date with the series, please subscribe to our newsletter or you can follow us on Spotify and Apple Music. Thank you again. This podcast is only aimed at professional advisors and regulated firms and should not be passed on to or relied upon by any other persons. It is not intended for retail investors who should obtain professional or specialist advice before taking or refraining from any action on the basis of this podcast. Remembering past performance is not an indication of future performance. It is published by and remains the copyright of Squaremore Investment Consulting and Research. Squaremore makes no warranties or representations regarding the accuracy or completeness of the information contained herein. This podcast represents the views and forecasts of Squaremore at the date of issue and may be subject to change without reference or notification to you. Nothing in this podcast shall be deemed to constitute a regulated activity or an invitation or inducement to engage in investment activity, and it is not a recommendation to buy or sell any funds or investments that are mentioned during this podcast. Thank you.